This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. You're probably familiar with StoryCorps, the stories that run on NPR that involve two people that are connected in some way, having a conversation that usually touches on the human experience in a moving and heartfelt way. The new project from founder Dave Isay and the StoryCorps team is called One Small Step. It also involves personal taped conversations between two people, but this time the conversations bring together strangers with differing points of view. The idea is to take one small step toward getting people to empathize with each other a little bit and bring down the cultural temperature. Several public radio stations across the country are collaborating with StoryCorps on the project, including WUSF. We're going to hear from Dave Isay later in the show, but first we're going to talk to two of the men who were interviewed for One Small Step, Paul Mott and Brad Papello. Welcome. Thank you. And Scott Walkler is here. He's a producer of One Small Step for WUSF. Scott, thanks for being here. Thank you. So Brad and Paul, um, you know, let's start with you, Paul. How did you hear about the project and what made you want to participate in this? So I remember uh, hearing an advertisement on WUSF for the project, Mm -hmm. and uh, I emailed in and uh, got a reply. So you were a listener for WUSF. Absolutely. Been a long-time listener, yes. Okay. Brad, what about you? I actually referred through a friend of mine, Dave Luce, who was uh, participating in the project and recommended that something, you know, basically from our conversations, he thought I'd be interested in supporting. Now, Scott, I know um, I've been paying attention to this process a little bit throughout, and you were tasked with doing 25 interviews for one small step. That's 50 people that you had to find of differing points of view. Now, um, some are going to argue with this, but some people say that Uh, public radio listeners, NPR listeners, have sort of similar points of view kind of to the left of the political spectrum. So that meant you had to go out and find people uh, that were more conservative or had differing points of view. Tell me about that process. That definitely was a challenging part of the uh, interview process. Like you said, we had uh, 25 teams of uh, two people each. And uh, it was easy to find the liberals most of the time, but uh, we did do a little bit more word, word of mouth searching around for the uh, conservatives. Uh, like Brad came to us from somebody who had recommended he come there. But believe it or not, there are conservatives who listen, listen to public radio, and uh, we did get a lot of them uh, to respond, and they wanted to hear. Uh, they wanted to sit and listen uh, to the conversation. So, Brad, what were you thinking coming into this? Tell me a little bit about the whole experience. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I wasn't sure who they were going to pair me with. They'd ever really give you any information about who you might be paired with. Uh, I think I was excited about the opportunity because I, I, I've had the conversation with uh, the friend who referred me along with many of my other friends that the current environment to be able to have an opinion that differs from others, it doesn't matter which side you're on, it's just toxic response instead of it being something along the lines of really understanding where the other person was coming from. So I love the idea of having you know, StoryCorps sort of support a, a uh, uncharged venue for us to be able to discuss ideas. And then just, like, I think empathy was the best word you said. I, I was excited about the idea of just having a civil discussion with somebody who could find empathy somewhere in the process. Listen, spend 10 minutes on Twitter and you understand the reason for this project. So, Paul, I want you and Brad to say, you know, what 
give us a little um, summary of your views. I mean, why were you put together? In what way do you differ? And what did you write down on your application that let Scott know you were going to have differing points of view, Paul? For myself, I know that a lot of people consider veterans to be more of the conservative standpoint. For myself, I happen to be a, a liberal, or, or as I'm labeled. And you're a veteran. And a veteran as well. And, and you were in the Army, correct? I was in the Army, correct. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I served in the Army uh, during the Gulf War. I was uh, also in Afghanistan. I worked in Afghanistan, not in uniform, though. So my views are liberal, but, but they're not ex- extreme. You know, I, I think I had a, a pretty good perspective, uh, you know, of the different things I've done throughout my, my journey. You now, um, were you um, enlisted or an officer in the Enlisted. Army? And Brad, what about you? I was an enlisted Marine. Marine. So. Marine Corps. Okay. Yeah. So you would have considered yourself coming more for the conservative standpoint. Yeah, I think almost to the point of conservative slash libertarian. There are certainly points of view that I would say that I don't align myself with traditional conservatives um, and probably even traditional liberals that maybe have more empathy for certain points of view um, when it comes to a limited government side, right? But uh, I would say definitely from a conservative perspective uh, throughout probably since I can remember, I didn't have the, uh, you know, liberal by 20, conservative by 40 moment. I was pretty consistent all the way through, just (laughs) hopefully refining my my reasoning behind it, that's all. So tell me about the conversation. We're not, you know, we'll hear that at a different point. We're going to play your conversations on the air separately. But I'm curious, like, how the conversation went. Did you right away connect or were you nervous that you were going to offend each other or did you just let it all, what was the format? So for myself, I, I think we connected fairly well, fairly quickly both very respectful of each other's views. Uh, you know, I think as you listen to the interview, you can see that although we may have different political beliefs or ideologies, at the end of the day, we both still want the same thing. We just maybe differ on how we get there. What was the thing that, that you really disagreed on and you had to kind of maybe even tiptoe around during the conversation? Brad? I can't remember anything specific. I, I do believe that we, we disagreed on not the end state of climate change, but maybe the causes behind it, right? Maybe we didn't agree on international policy directions, but agreed on an end state. The biggest thing I think that was probably uh, comforting in the process was when we discussed, you know, what do you want the other side to see about you that you aren't able to, to ever discuss with somebody who won't hear you? Um, what do you want the other person to know about about them? And I think that's where both of us came to, from a perspective of, I don't see you as necessarily evil just because you disagree with what I think. And I think that's the real problem we were having in the social dialogue nowadays. I thought that was, even though we disagreed on multiple points, I never felt for a second that it's indicative of some sort of moral failure of Paul, that he doesn't agree with the way I think. And I agree. Although we didn't agree, let's say, use climate change for an example. We both agreed that climate is changing. We both agreed that certain steps need to be done to, to help reverse these changes as best as possible. We just maybe didn't agree on, the, on the, some of the scientific basis behind it. But we do agree that, that things need to move forward in order to, to help save our environment for our children. So you two were coming together really with good intent. I mean, you, you came forward, you wanted to see the good in the other person. Do you think that that will translate to the wider world? I mean, did it teach you anything about when you 
oh gosh, you know, you see something on Facebook from a friend of yours that infuriates you or something. I mean, do, do you think it, it, what you learned in this experience can carry over at all, Paul? A- absolutely. You know, I, I think when, when people go to social media to air their indifferences, a lot of hateful rhetoric gets tossed around on both sides. But if you actually take the time to sit down and have an honest conversation with somebody, you know, without being rude about it, I guess is the best way to put it, it's amazing what can be accomplished. It really is. We can we can agree not to agree on certain things. And I come away with a much clearer perspective, you know, on the other side's point of view. And for that, I feel more more informed. Did any of your friends say, you know, why are you doing this, Brad? You know, why do you need to listen to that nonsense? I think there's curiosity. Who's going to be, you know, debating against you? What's the manner? What's the presentation style that you're going to be doing? And Brad, are you going to sound as crash as you do in front of your friends when you're joking <laughs> around? Or, you know, um, I've got a lot of Marine friends. We are not necessarily always the most politically correct when we debate. Um, right. But I think that everybody, at least my close friends, understand that one of the things that I enjoy the most is like free-flowing ideas. And there's no reason why I should ever be afraid of somebody else's point of view, even if I don't agree with it. And so they thought that this was going to be something I'd probably enjoy, you know, once I got into it. Just didn't understand maybe the the makeup of it and how it was going to work because it's so different than talk radio or uh, the uh, two minutes of verbal combat that occurs on the nightly news. Scott, you sat through 25 of these interviews. Were there any themes running through these conversations that you noticed? I think the main theme that I saw was that when you get two people sitting together in a room face to face, setting them up and telling them we want you to be polite to one another, it's surprising how nice people are to get to to one another. Um, it's, It's refreshing. I think that was the main thing I saw. And then you do see that people are looking for an avenue to talk rationally and calmly to one another. I think we're so uh, used to getting online and spouting our uh, views and not listening to one another. And I think when the people that I spoke with sat down and actually listened, they were very surprised to hear that, like Brad and Paul, um, they agreed far more than they disagreed. So people were just nice to each other. People were very nice to one another. And and then you were sitting there going, well, where's my story? (laughs) We did try. In fact, it's interesting with Paul and and Brad, I noticed that they they were talking about their careers in the military. And uh, it wasn't until we started exploring that a little bit more and, and asking them to elaborate a little bit more on that, that we did see that, you know, these two people both had very similar experiences, but yet they came away with kind of different ideologies. So, uh, you know, it wasn't until they actually started talking about their military experience that I feel like they opened up a little bit more about those differences. Mm-hmm. So what was the process for these interviews? Did you right. sit down with the same set of questions for each couple? No, we modified it a lot, um, depending on how the interview went. Uh, originally, everybody uh, filled out a questionnaire, which gave us kind of an iv- idea on where they all stood uh, politically. Then from there, what we did was we were looking for people who would not stand on soapboxes, not spout uh, what's on Fox News or what's on MSNBC, and people who really just wanted to understand the other point of view. 
And then we got them together and we asked a few opening questions, kind of warm-up questions. I think the first warm-up question was always, what's your favorite holiday and why? And surprisingly, the number one answer was always Thanksgiving, <laughs> which I always nice. thought was interesting. But uh, yeah, and then depending on where the interview went, we had uh, questions that we, we, we followed up from there, one of which was, you know, what do you want um, the other people to understand about you and your point of view, which I thought was very you know, eye-opening because I think a lot of times people did want to be heard. And once they were heard, they were able to make their point very well without, you know, arguing about it. People want to be heard. They, they do. They want to be listened to. They do. To. They want to be listened to. Do they want to persuade? To some degree. To some degree. I think we definitely saw that in some ways. Um, we, I'm thinking of some of the examples we had. We had a woman come in with a MAGA hat on, and she was definitely a Trump supporter and wanted to persuade somebody. But I think once she opened up and listened to the other person's perspective and saw that that person wasn't evil, like you were saying, Brad, she realized that she didn't really have to sit there and persuade anybody. She just needed to tell her story and listen to what the other person had to say. So I, I think it matters to have somebody face to face talking to another person. I think you talk very differently when you're sitting across a microphone from someone as opposed to yelling at them online. What we talked about, too, about the whole MAGA yeah. and the Obama sort of uh, uh, politics of cult, almost, yes. it seemed like, and how interesting it is for one side to be so one way in 2009, right. and the people who are who are making fun of them at that point in time are now the exact opposite, and the uh, insatiable hatred for the other side has repeated itself and just flipped. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's just, you know, shoes on the other foot right now. It's very, very interesting. Explain what you're, you, you, you said you would talk right. to Scott about that before. But, uh, so I remember how embarrassed I was with some of my friends who had focused so heavily on the Obama administration, even though I vehemently disagree with almost every major policy initiative, but it turned into a, a hate of cult against that man. And I remember thinking that they are ostracizing their, their thought and their mental capacity into almost sort of a, a rage against an individual versus it being, I don't agree with this and here's why, and then I can articulate that. It's so funny to me to see the exact same thing now happening from the opposite side. It may be different in the way it, it portrays itself as far as, you know, one man was eloquent in his speech, the other individual is a bit character, you know, just a total caricature. But the, the, the hatred towards the other side and the fact that you're looking for any small detail to tear down the other person as a moral standing, I see the same rage. I see the same whack jobs who are looking for a birth certificate now claiming that Russia was behind uh, this Manchurian candidate. And I just, to me, it seems like a very, very poisonous, toxic atmosphere on both sides. And I do think it's, it's emblematic of how when you lose perspective on one and you lose perspective on the other, it's the same result. That's Brad Papello. We're also speaking with Paul Mott and Scott Walkler, all from One Small Step, the project, the new project from the StoryCorps team. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Dave Isay is the founder of StoryCorps, and he is the creative force behind One Small Step. First of all, it's a pleasure to meet you. Nice to talk to you. What was the impetus for One Small Step? Was there anything in particular, any particular anecdote or event that, that gave you the idea of having people sit down together who have very different points of view? Well, Robin, you know, StoryCorps has been around for a bunch of years now. Um, and as you and your listeners know, it's this very simple idea that two people who know and love each other come to this booth 
and have this conversation about their life that goes to the Library of Congress so their great-great-great-grandchildren can someday get to know whoever it is you brought to the booth to interview a grandmother, um, a grandparent, a friend. So we've had half a million participants uh, who've done those standard StoryCorps interviews. And coming out of the last presidential election, we kind of had an inkling of an idea of using the StoryCorps methodology to do something very different than we'd ever done before, which is putting strangers across the political divides into a StoryCorps booth, you know, not to come to any kind of common ground or have a civil conversation or convince each other of, um, you know, the other side's political views, but just to kind of remember the humanity and people that we may disagree with. And, you know, we were really thrilled to work with WUSF as one of our kind of test hubs. Uh, We picked five cities across the country to test this before we start scaling it. But really, there there was no single event other than every time you turn on the, the news or look anywhere around you or listen, the kind of crisis of contempt that um, we're seeing in this country, which I really think poses potentially an extinction-level threat to our democracy, because a democracy, you know, can't survive in a swamp of uh, mutual contempt. Mutual contempt. So you're hoping maybe with this to get people to humanize the other side. There's a survey that caught my eye from a couple of months ago from Nielsen that says that, you know, 42 percent of people in each party view the opposition as downright evil. Twenty percent of Republicans and Democrats agree that their political adversaries lack the traits to be considered human. Twenty percent think the country would be better off if large numbers of the opposition died. And it goes on and on. And the numbers are moving in the wrong direction. So uh, really, again, it's just about helping us sit face to face with having a career. I mean, this takes courage. And uh, folks, we had tons of signups in, in Tampa. We're incredibly grateful f- to WSF. But, you know, again, we have a serious, serious problem in our country. And your listeners stepped up to help us test a methodology that we hope at scale can help take down this contempt just a little bit. I mean, we know we can't do it alone, but we like to think of this as kind of um, a little bit of light seeping into a dark room so we can begin to see one another again. From our experience and the little bit that I've heard of of our project, I mean, I think NPR listeners aren't all that different. They tend to fall kind of similarly on the political spectrum. So to find people that really disagreed with our listeners, I think they really had to go outside and and do some looking. And I think maybe that's one of the problems that you're pointing up. You know, we're just we're sort of in our own bubbles. That's right. And I, I mean, as you know, you know, nothing good is easy. If this was easy to do, we wouldn't be in the situation that we were in now. We're public media, and I'm, you know, and I, I know you are as well, big believers that we're a public service for everyone. And the idea of bringing more people into the tent of public media to see the values of, you know, the importance of listening and treating people with dignity and recognizing the value in all of our lives and stories. So, I mean, it's very, very exciting to me and kind of a dream for StoryCorps to begin expanding who we reach and who participates. And yes, I know it took a lot of work to reach folks across the divides. We hope that this is just the beginning and that we'll continue working with you. We're going to start to scale um, one small step in 2020 over the next three years, and we want to keep working with you until the ethos of one small step, convincing the country that it's our patriotic duty to see the humanity in people we may disagree with, becomes part of the ethos of Florida and the whole country. Have you had any sense yet of any successes? Have you seen any small successes or anything that keeps you motivated in this project? 
Well, I'm completely motivated, and as is everybody at StoryCorps. Yeah, I mean, as people know who listen to StoryCorps, very much of a heart organization, but it's backed up by research. And, you know, the research shows that these interviews do everything that uh, we had hoped that they would do. And, you know, StoryCorps writ large does the same things. You know, it makes people more hopeful and less fearful of the other. We're seeing exactly what we wanted to see and are figuring out constantly kind of iterating and figuring out how it can be as effective as possible and kind of what a long-term intervention is. So once people participate in One Small Step, we keep them, you know, kind of in the family and they can help us spread the word and continue listening to the stories of others, you know, almost like throwing a message in a bottle across the divides. You talk about effectiveness, and you sent me a clip of a powerful StoryCorps interview between a Mississippi man named Albert Sykes and his nine-year-old son, Aiden. Let's listen to that. Do you remember what was going through your head when you first saw me? That was the most proud moment of my life. Don't tell your brothers, because it's three (laughs) of y'all. But it was like looking at a blank canvas and just imagining what you want the painting to look like at the end, but also knowing you can't control the paint strokes. You know, the fear was just, I got to bring up a black boy in Mississippi, which is a tough place to bring up kids, period. But there are statistics that say black boys born after the year 2002 have a one in three chance of going to prison. And all three of my sons were born after the year 2002. Are you proud of me? Of course. You my man. I I just love everything about you, period. The thing I love about you, you never give up on me. That's one of the things I will always remember by my dad. Uh, You said it like I'm on the way out of here or like I'm already gone. So, Dad, what are your dreams for me? My dream is for you to live out your dreams. It's an old proverb that talks about when children are born, children come out with their fists closed because that's where they keep all their gifts. And as you grow, your hands learn to unfold because you're learning to release your gifts to the world. And so for the rest of your life, I want to see you live with your hands unfolded. You are able to get to people in a way that it's not very common. And I'm wondering, what is it? What Have you managed to isolate that thing that you, that you want people to say or you can get out of a conversation that you know everybody is going to be able to relate to this, no matter how different they are? And I certainly am different than that nine-year-old boy. How do you do it, Dave? That's very well put. Um, and, and what we are looking for are these kind of universal Moments. Um, you know, we see there are two sides to StoryCorps access to the experience, which are recording these stories and sitting with a loved one, looking them in the eyes and saying, Who are you? How do you want to be remembered? Who's been kindest to you in your life? And reminding people how much you love them by listening to them. And then the stories we broadcast, which are just these tiny three minute excerpts. It's uh, you as a, as a radio person will understand the insanity of the ratio. We broadcast one four hundredth of one percent of what we record. And what we try and do is create these little poems of who we are as, as, as human beings that hopefully have a shelf life of forever. And most of these stories, like the one you were just talking about, aren't sad. It's just that, you know, StoryCorps, again, and I think this is in line with the general values of public broadcasting, that, you know, it's really about generosity. And you're hearing two people who love each other being completely authentic with no other motive 
um, other than kind of listening to each other and being generous. And when that kind of moment happens, you're kind of walking on on holy ground, I think. And that makes people emotional, especially at this moment, where, wherever we look, so much kind of noise and nonsense that to, to hear just kind of a simple connection between human beings can be um, really moving. And again, what we try and do with, with StoryCorps in general, what I hope it does is make people feel kind of more hopeful. Yeah, they make your heart full. They really do. But I did want to ask you about technology and social media, because you keep hearing that they're kind of limiting our ability to have conversations. And I'm wondering if if you feel that way, too. If younger people who grew up with social media and iPhones and technology are having a harder time hearing each other. Obviously, technology has done amazing things for us. Um, and there wouldn't be StoryCorps if it wasn't for technology. Everything is done digitally and shared and so forth. I mean, I think one of the paradoxes of this digital age is that these mechanisms for communication, in some ways, which are supposed to bring us closer together, are driving us farther and farther apart. But, you know, this the ability to connect in an authentic way is ingrained in us. And I, I think that younger generations have every capacity to engage in these kind of authentic conversations and are hungry for it and do it through StoryCorps. The most dangerous thing to me about, about social media is that StoryCorps is, in many ways, and I think the power of one small step is that people realize that when they do these interviews, they're speaking to their great-great-grandchildren. And on social media, it's the most kind of impermanent kind of communication possible. And um, we've become a culture that where it's very easy for us to, you know, call one another names and and, um, insult one another. And, you know, no one has ever been insulted ever into changing their views. In fact, you know, studies show that if you call someone a moron or an idiot or a Nazi or whatever you're calling them, that their views become hardened. So our technology allows us to call each other, you know, morons, idiots, and Nazis billions of times a day. And I think that's one of the problems we're seeing that we're trying to deal with with StoryCorps, this kind of parting of the Red Seas where beliefs are hardening. And that is a a major, massive problem that has arisen because of technology. So you have made a career out of this kind of storytelling, um, which you kind of pioneered, which is that you leave out the reporter, you leave out the middleman, and you let the subject speak for themselves. What do you think that you gain with that kind of storytelling? I used to make documentaries for public radio many years ago, and and that's right. I was always, um, I left myself out of the programs. And I, I just, look, there's all kinds of ways to tell a story. Um, this is just the one that speaks to me and that we do at StoryCorps and I used to do and I used to do radio documentaries. I always found that I didn't like my voice in stories. I always felt like it pulled you out of wherever you were. And the beauty of radio is, well, there's a lot of beauty to it. One is just the power of the voice. And if you're driving in a car listening to a story, you know, an authentic voice sitting next to you of someone who you might not have known, it's like they're whispering in your ear. It, it's such a great medium for the imagination. And I always felt when I did stories that when my voice came in, Wherever I was, you know, trying to take you in a documentary, my voice would take you right out of there, right? It would be if you were in where, wherever it was. I did a lot of criminal justice stuff. If you were in a prison or, or a homeless shelter, wherever you were, that suddenly my voice would come and you were no longer there. So that, that was just a style that spoke to me. And, and, you know, we continue with StoryCorps to just let the people speak and let people fully immerse themselves in the stories and voices and souls of the people they're listening to. 
Dave, I say thank you so much. Thank you for your work and thanks for joining us today. And thank you for your partnership on the very beginnings of One Small Step. The One Small Step series airs Mondays in September during Morning Edition and All Things Considered on WUSF 89.7. Florida Matters is available as a podcast. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. This week's show was produced by Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.